Gator Nation and welcome into the latest edition of Locked On Gators, your team every day. I'm your host, Zach Albaverde, staff writer for the Lake City Reporter. What's up, Florida fans? Welcome into the latest edition of Locked On Gators. On today's show, we're going to be joined by Nick Suss from the Clarion Ledger to talk Ole Miss and Florida squaring off on Saturday in Oxford. And we'll also discuss Lane Kiffin and all the changes happening with the Ole Miss football program. And I'll get Nick's thoughts on recruiting as Ole Miss and Florida are set to have some battles here down the stretch, still in the 2020 cycle, as Mark Britt, the Florida commit out of Miami, has a final decision to make on February 20th between the Gators and the Rebels. And both teams are also still in the mix for the nation's number one running back, Zach Evans. So I'll get Nick's thoughts on all that. Lane Kiffin and Saturday's matchup between the Gators and Rebels. Here is my conversation with Nick this week. We're now joined by Nick Suss from the Clarion Ledger to talk the Ole Miss Rebels. We will preview Saturday's matchup between the Gators and Mississippi. We'll also talk Lane Kiffin and all the changes happening. Let's start with basketball. I know everybody wants to hear your take on Kiffin, but we'll talk hoops first since those two teams are squaring off Saturday. Both teams already met. Once this season in Gainesville, the Gators getting a 71-55 win, giving Mike White his 100th career win at UF. And the Rebels came into that game and kept it competitive at least for a half. But what are your thoughts on the season they've been having? I know that there's been some struggles with that team so far. Yeah, that Florida game was probably the weirdest, most out-of-character game of the season because it was the only game they played without Brian Tyree, the leading scorer on the team. And I think he's the third leading scorer in the SEC at this point. So... Taking him out of the equation was rough, and I don't think Hadim C, their starting center, traveled that day, so they were undermanned. But the thing I've been saying about this team all year is they're really hard to describe because they haven't lost the same way twice, and they've <laughs> lost a lot of games. So it's it's a weird thing where there are some games where the team just can't shoot. And you look at when they played Texas A&M, in the opener in SEC play. I think Brian Tyree scored 26 and the rest of the team scored less than that or just around that. I mean, that was one way they did it. Then you look at the Auburn game a couple weeks ago where they have a 19 point second half lead and lose in double overtime. Yeah. That was because they stopped being able to guard the dribble and they became over aggressive and gave up too many fouls. And you can go down the line and, and you get to that Florida game where the issue was, they went extremely cold shooting in the second half and they had no answer down low because they were so limited without C. They'll have C, uh, who's been playing pretty well. They'll have him on Saturday and they'll have Tyree, who is coming off a 36, 38 point game in a win over South Carolina on Wednesday. So this is a team that's definitely outplayed its record. You lose by one or two possessions against LSU and Auburn and I want to say Arkansas. Yeah, Arkansas, they had a 10-point second-half lead and lost in the final seconds as well. So, I mean, they're one or two buckets away from being 5-4 and four in the league, but you can't make that excuse. They didn't make the buckets, and they stopped playing defense down the stretch in a couple of games. So the way Florida's played recently, especially coming off that Georgia big comeback and the way Ole Miss has given up a lot of big comebacks, don't turn this game off early. That's, yeah. that's that's the easiest way to put it. Speaking of Georgia, that is another win that the Rebels were able to get on the road. Yeah. 70 to 60, and the Gators had to come back from 22 points down 
against the Bulldogs. But this is going to be a different matchup on Saturday um, because of Tyree being in the lineup. How much, obviously, of a difference maker can he be in this game? And, I mean, he's gone off on Florida before. Yeah, I mean, Brian's one of the weirder players in the SEC in that all four years of his college experience, his scoring output has gone up in SEC play. And that's no different this year. He has twice set his career high in scoring in SEC games this season. He scored 36 against LSU and then 38 against South Carolina. He's putting up great scoring numbers. He's great off the dribble. He's great off the pass. He's a pretty electric scorer who's not afraid to use the long two and not afraid to get to the line. But Florida's got some pretty good guard play, too, and it might come down to what Ole Miss's other guards can do because Devontae Shuler, the point guard, had his two best scoring games of the season against Auburn and against LSU. Yeah, he's been playing pretty well against both Auburn and LSU, and then he carried that a little bit against South Carolina. If both of those guards are shooting well together, Ole Miss is a tough team to stop, and that's why so many people were high on the Rebels coming into the season. But Schuler had a really rough stretch in the middle of the year, and Tyree had a bit of a cold stretch for two or three games in those Auburn and LSU stretch. So the South Carolina win, which was their best game of the year, counting non-conference play, it was the first time they looked good together. And if they can carry that, there's no reason they can't hang around with Florida, except for the big reason being Florida's post players might just bully them. They obviously had a really tough loss at Tennessee, 73-48. to But since then, I mean, they've really turned a corner. I mentioned the win over Georgia. They went to double overtime against Auburn. They lose on the road at LSU. Nobody's going to hold that against them. And then they got the win over South Carolina in their last game by 14. Given how they've played in their last few games, and certainly with Tyree being in the lineup, what all is it going to take in your mind for the Rebels to get the upset on Saturday? I mean, what will they have to do to make that happen? Uh, stay out of foul trouble. That's been one of the big issues for Ole Miss throughout the season and one of the reasons that second halves have been rough because this Ole Miss team isn't particularly deep. And there's been an emergence of a couple of bench players in the last couple of weeks. Austin Crowley had one pretty good game. He's a freshman guard. Dude Collin had a pretty good game against South Carolina, a freshman forward. But when this team has one forward or one guard in foul trouble, that is the full bench. They really only play seven or eight players deep, and they they eat, especially with Sammy Hunter, one of the freshman centers who's been battling an injury recently. So if KJ Buffer or Blake Henson or Hadim C, one of the three starting big men, if they get into early foul trouble like they've done a lot this year, and Florida can just start funneling the ball down low, it's going to be tough for Ole Miss. But if Henson and uh, C and Buffin can stay on the floor together and Ole Miss can use its subs the way it wants to, it actually could be a pretty productive day. Let's switch gears now to football as we talk with Nick Suss from the Clarion Ledger. And definitely one of the hires of the offseason was Lane Kiffin coming to Oxford. And first of all, Nick, let's talk about the decision to move on from Mac Luke. Surprise might not be the word. It was it was kind of just a delayed acceptance for a lot of people where the way that Egg Bowl ended on Thanksgiving night left a weird taste in the mouth of every single person in the state of Mississippi. You can tell by Mississippi State fans also ending up getting rid of their coach a couple of weeks afterwards. But by the Saturday night, Sunday morning, it became pretty evident that Ole Miss was looking to make a change. And when they did on Sunday night, the explanation from the athletic department was, 
they just felt there was too much fan apathy. They weren't selling tickets. Fans weren't excited about the program or the direction it was heading in. And no matter of positive direction where it looked like they were heading was going to change that because fans just weren't excited about what Matt Luke was doing. And if you want to talk about somebody who will bring excitement it's hard to find a more exciting hire this offseason than what Ole Miss did with Lane Kiffin just because of his cachet and name recognition and all the stars he's coached over the years from Matt Leinert through Jalen Hurts and all the way in between. But, yeah, it was a it was a tough decision to move on from Matt for the school just because of how deeply embedded he and his family are in Oxford and how long they've been involved with this program. But going out and getting Kiffin was a very anti-Luke move in that he doesn't really have connections to Ole Miss and he doesn't really have these Mississippi-made slogans about winning this in-state battle. He's really trying to prepare the program to be a national contender. And that's that's kind of where Ole Miss is at at this point. No doubt. And, and you mentioned the fan apathy, and we all saw him arriving at the airport and the scene yeah. that that was. but. Uh, how has he been received by the fan base just in terms of the job he's done, the message that he's put out there, the vision that he's had, and has it kind of reinvigorated the fans already? Yeah, I mean, so far it's been almost universal praise and happiness. I mean, signing day came and went on Wednesday, and it was a pretty underwhelming signing day. So that was the first time you started to see a couple of rustles from the fans of, hey, is this working? because Ole Miss only signed three players on signing day, and I think right now sits at a class of 16 signees and two transfers, which isn't super large numbers. But aside from that, the fans are almost overwhelmingly supportive. The number of season tickets that have been uh, bought in the two months since Kiffin was hired and the just general excitement about having – a reason for people outside of this state to pay attention to what's going on in Mississippi. If Ole Miss hired, uh, I mean, pretty much anybody but Lane Kiffin, let's say they hired Mike Norvell from Memphis instead of Florida State doing that, I don't think you'd be on here asking me questions about how are fans reacting because I don't think that many people would have cared if a guy came from Memphis to Ole Miss. But if Lane Kiffin does it, there's a lot of reason for people to get excited just because of his personality and what people know about his past. He's already had some press conferences. He's been around the program now. And everybody knows his past. You know, at USC, at Tennessee, certainly things that went bad in Oakland. But he's turned over a new leaf. He's definitely matured a lot from, from those experiences. What's been your take on Lane Kiffin, the man now, from you know the times that you've got to interact with him so far and just the way that he's presented himself since he's taken over at Ole Miss? Yeah, I think there's this weird misconception about Kiffin that he's this energetic, high-octane, loud guy. He's actually pretty subdued and pretty calm. He's got a wit to him, and I think that's what people remember are the jokes and the offhand comments. And he'll still make one or two of those in a press conference. He went on a bizarre diversion the other day about not knowing where the baseball stadium was, and he'll, he'll tell those type of stories. But, I mean, you look at his press conferences and his – interactions with fans and all of these things he's really calmed really mellowed down and I think some of that is maturity I think some of that is the for lack of better words sabinification of of his brand which he's talked a lot about how much working with Nick Saban has taught him how to be a better coach and 
um, better leader. So I think that he's taken a couple of cues from the coach there and just, I mean, he is calmer and he's not the same party guy that was coaching Tennessee in 2009, but you also have to remember, he's still the third youngest head coach in the SEC. He has, yeah. this, lo- he has this long legacy of all these stories we can talk about, whether it's USC the first time or the Raiders or Tennessee or USC the second time or Alabama or FAU. He's still 44 years old. So there's a lot of time for him to build a different legacy than he has right now, which is young hotshot who's never been able to stay somewhere too long. You mentioned recruiting. I do want to touch on that before we get to next season. You said the class ranked number 12 in the SEC according to 24-7 sports. Kind of underwhelming with the number of signees. He was able to get Henry Paris, four-star yeah. running back, out of Miami. He's got a chance to flip another four-star prospect out of Miami, Mark Britt, who's currently mm-hmm. committed to Miami. And he's also in the mix for Zach Evans, the nation's number one running back who who knows where he could end up, but Ole Miss is, is in the picture. And if he could get Zach Evans, or just the fact that the Rebels are even in the mix for somebody like that, I think kind of speaks to Kiffin's recruiting ability. Yeah, and I think it's also a testament to there is a strategy to hiring a staff, and a lot of people will come in and try and hire the best football staff, and a lot of people will come in and try and hire the best recruiting staff. And it seems so far that Kiffin has tried to mix both but almost all of the coaches he's hired either have a direct connection to Florida or a direct connection to Texas, whether it's offensive coordinator Jeff Lebby, who was the OC at UCF and used to work at Baylor as a running backs coach, uh, offensive line coach Randy Clements used to work at Baylor and also used to work at Florida State, DJ Durkin as a co-defensive coordinator. He used to be obviously at Florida, which your listeners would know well. And you keep going down the line. There are a lot of coaches who have experience recruiting those two massive states in the SEC reach. So I'm not surprised that they were able to get someone like Henry Parrish because their running backs coach, Kevin Smith, played at UCF coached at FAU and had that pre-existing relationship with Parrish and his coaches. You look at Levy, who used to work in Texas, used to work in Florida, not much of a surprise he can get somebody like Parrish and then somebody like Cade Renfro, the quarterback they got out of Stephenville High School in Texas, which, oh, by the way, used to have a coach named Randy Clements, who is now the offensive line coach at Ole Miss. There's a rhythm and a method to all of this madness in recruiting you even look at the most high-profile guy they signed in this class so far, uh, Damon Clowney, the cousin of Judevion Clowney. Uh, co-defense coordinator Chris Partridge recruited him when Partridge was at Michigan, and their defensive line coach, Deke Adams, was the D-line coach for Judevion Clowney at South Carolina. It's all about these connections and relationships, and they very strategically hired these coaches to put themselves in position to be able to recruit these big-time states. On top of that... If they can flip somebody like Mark Britt, if they can bring in someone like Zach Evans, it's going to look really smart that they saved these scholarships and, and didn't fill out a full class because they'll be able to get one or two impact grad transfers. And you bring in a four-star like Britt and a five-star like Evans, you're suddenly looking at not the 12th class in the SEC, but probably closer to ninth or 10th, maybe eighth. But until then, it's impossible to know if this strategy is going to work, maybe Britt sticks with Miami or goes to Florida, or maybe he picks Ole Miss. Maybe Evans stays home with Texas A&M, or he picks Tennessee, or there's a mystery school involved because his recruiting has been absolutely absurd. 
But, <laughs> but until then, Ole Miss looks like it's positioning itself to, at the very worst-case scenario, have five to seven scholarships left over for next year that they could use when they have a longer time to put a class together than they have so far. If you've been a listener of this podcast, I'm sure you've heard all the great advertisers working with Locked On to reach sports fans. But you may not know that Locked On Gators is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Gator fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners. Not just any podcast listener, a Locked On podcast listener. If your company wants to connect with Gator fans in a predominantly male audience that is well-educated with disposable income, then let's put your company right here on this Locked On podcast. Local fans love to support local businesses. Text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help your team achieve Locked On advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you. Final couple of things for you, Nick, as we go into 2020 and look ahead to Ole Miss in the first season under Lane Kiffin, what are going to be the expectations for this team? And, and obviously I think one of the biggest questions that folks will have is how are things going to shake out at quarterback? Yeah, the quarterback question is going to be fascinating because they do return two guys who got significant reps last year in Matt Corral, who Florida fans would remember from when he was committed down there, and John Rex Plumley. Corral's more of the drop-back passer who can run. Plumlee is more of the running passer who can pass sometimes. Uh, we'll see what happens because the biggest wrench in the entire equation is that John Rice Plumlee plays baseball. So I asked Kiffin the other day what the process is going to be with the spring, and he said if Plumlee turns out to be an impact player on the baseball team, he probably won't be involved with football. If it turns out baseball doesn't particularly need him, he'll probably be more involved with football. It's going to be really interesting to see how that shakes out because it's not as if Kissin has a type at quarterback. You can sure. go up and down all of the teams he's coached. Uh, I mentioned two guys earlier, Matt Linus to Jalen Hurts. I can't think stylistically of two more different quarterbacks, but he's managed to succeed with both of those guys. Not only those two, you bring back a four-star, a former four-star named Grant Tisdale, who is uh, Kyler Murray's successor at Allen High in Texas, and a lot of people are excited about him. I mentioned Renfro earlier, the freshman they brought in. He's a tall pocket-style passer. They got a lot of stuff they can do at quarterback. But as for what you asked about the expectations for the season, I think it's going to come down to fans want to see Ole Miss win a game they haven't been able to win in the past. Hmm. Matt Luke, in his three years as a head coach, I'm pretty sure the only game he won that Ole Miss wasn't expected to win was the Mississippi State game his first year when Nick Fitzgerald broke his leg in the early, early in the first half and Ole Miss was able to capitalize on that. You look at some of the other games that happened last year, you lose by five points against Memphis, you lose by eight points against Cal, you lose by one possession against both Texas A&M and Auburn, Auburn on the road, you lose by 11 points against Missouri, and then that Egg Bowl game that was a one-point game where they missed that extra point at the end to not be able to send the game to overtime. That's a lot of games that they were one possession away or two possessions away, and the game just got out of hand. So this is probably a good segue into 
the matchup that's going to happen in October between Florida and Ole Miss, but they got to find a way to win one or two of those games that they haven't been winning and seem more competitive against teams that are maybe a tier above them. Looking at the 2020 schedule, certainly some opportunities. They're going to play Baylor early on in the season. They get Auburn at home. They get Alabama at home. That's going to be a game that's circled, but they get Ford at home. And I think with Dan Mullen making his return to Oxford as the former Mississippi State head coach, there's going to be a lot of anticipation for that game. And Kiffin and, and Mullen are, are kind of buddy-buddy and have some history together. How much are you looking forward to those two teams kind of meeting up? And I think that the fans are going to be even more jacked up for it because Dan Mullen's going to be in town. Yeah, it's always exciting when an SEC East opponent comes to Oxford because it's kind of a destination location for a lot of East fan bases that don't get to come here a lot just because of the Grove and the Square and all of the reason for people to come to this town. So the stadium's probably going to be close to as full as it's been. I mean, obviously the Alabama game is going to draw, but you bring in the Mullen uh, consideration because Mullen was the kind of coach who didn't even refer to Ole Miss by name when he was (laughs) at Mississippi State. He was definitely that school up north kind of guy. But it's going to be fun, but it's also going to be brutal in the sense that you mentioned what Ole Miss's schedule is. That's the seventh game of the year, and by then Ole Miss will already have played Baylor, Auburn, LSU, and Alabama. That's five times in seven games that Ole Miss yeah. is going to have to play a team that finished in the top 20, maybe top 15 uh, at the end of last season, which is just brutal. And, and after the Florida game is when you start looking at Ole Miss saying, okay, you know, Texas A&M and Mississippi State and Arkansas, things are a little bit more manageable down the stretch. But, gosh, I mean, when you get to that Florida game, Ole Miss is going to be reeling off of so many tough games. And the previous game is Vanderbilt, so they might have a little bit of a reprieve, but who knows what Vanderbilt's going to look like next year. Even then, if Ole Miss hasn't already pulled off one of those upsets I talked about, they're going to be looking at Florida as, hey, this is a game we need to win or else we have to be perfect down the stretch to get to six wins. And that's hard to ask. Yeah, no doubt. Well, it was not hard to ask for your opinion on Ole Miss, my friend, because we knew that you'd give a great one. And, and so uh, lucky that we got to get your perspective on hoops. And this football team and program now with Lane Kiffin, it's definitely uh, raised, I think, the brand of Ole Miss. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how it plays out. I'll be in Oxford next season. It'll be my first time in the Grove. So uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, man. Yeah, I will, uh, I'll show you the ropes. There are a lot of tents, and you will definitely get lost. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Well, uh, Nick, we really appreciate the time, bud. Have a good one. All right, you too, Zach. That'll do it for the latest edition of Locked on Gators. On today's show, we previewed the matchup between Florida and Ole Miss and also talked Lane Kiffin as he takes over the Rebels football program. On Monday's show, we'll recap how that game went between Florida and Ole Miss. Make sure you stay tuned to Locked on Gators, your team every day.